This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. Well, open your Bibles this morning to Mark chapter 2. Uh, we are in week 2 of Who's Your One? It's a five-part uh, series, and if you weren't, weren't able last week uh, to get a prayer guide, if you weren't here, we've got plenty of extras that are out in the foyer um, as you leave. They're all around our, our, our campus. This will just help you in, in praying for people in your life um, that, uh, that need a relationship with, with Christ. And that's what we're talking about in this series. And today, we're talking about the courage to reach your one. We're going to be in Mark chapter 2, and we're going to look at the first 12 verses of Mark 2, the courage to reach your one. Let's stand together as we look at God's word this morning. Mark 2, and let's look at verses 1 through 12. The Bible says when he entered Capernaum again after some days, it was reported that he was at home. So many people gathered together that there was no more room, not even in the doorway, and he was speaking the word to them. They came to him bringing a paralytic carried by four of them. Since they were not able to bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And after digging through it, they lowered the mat on which the paralytic was lying. Seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. But some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does he speak like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Right away, Jesus perceived in the spirit that they were thinking like this within themselves and said to them, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He told the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately, he got up, took the mat, and went out in front of everyone. As a result, they were all astounded and gave glory to God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. You can be seated. Let's pray. Father, as we come to the text today, um, we, we pray that you would speak to us through this amazing happening this encounter, and as we see the, the, the love and the faith of these friends for their friend, we pray that you would give that to us for people in our lives who are far from you. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Well, for many years in the Hayes household, uh, Melissa and our girls have put up with a lot of yelling on Saturday afternoons. Not at them, uh, but at a glowing screen. Because I am a college football fan, and my son is a college football fan. And so there in the fall, there's just a lot of hooting and hollering that goes on at the Hayes house on, on Saturday uh, after, afternoons. Well, um, 
the thing about being a fan is that whether you're, you're yelling at a screen like a fool, you know, or in the stands at a stadium, or just listening to talk radio or a podcast about football, as a fan, you're not actually in the action, which is fine when it comes to college football not fine when it comes to the church because if people are ever going to be reached for Christ in significant numbers, it is going to be because, because ordinary believers get involved on a mission in reaching out to the people in their lives. That's what Who's Your One is all about. And we see in this story four friends who, who bring their loved one to Christ, what can we learn from them? The first thing that we see here is that they had love for their friend. They had love for their friend. Let's look at verses 1 and 2. The Bible says, when he entered Capernaum again after some days, it was reported that he was at home. So many people had gathered together that there was no more room, not even in the doorway, and he was speaking the word to them. Now just imagine the scene. So you've got this little first century home, which would have held, you know, 50 to 75 people. People are absolutely jammed into this little house like sardines. They're spilling out outside of the the doorway. And so jammed into this house, you've got people that people that needed to be healed. You've got people that were hungry for God. There were the curious. There were the critics. They were all there. It was just like this charged atmosphere. You know, I'm told by people who have hiked in the Alps that, that at nighttime, if a storm is, is coming up, that there'll be a certain time when they can look at the backpack of the hiker in front of them, and they can see the metal on their backpack just beginning to develop an eerie glow around it. And sailors report the same thing. If a storm is coming up sometimes at, at night, that they can look up at the top of the mast, and, and the, the mast is just sort of crowned with like an, an eerie glow. It's a phenomenon known as St. Elmo's fire. And if you see it, you better take cover, because it means that lightning is in the area. The atmosphere in this house was just charged with electricity. And, and so as this crowd is packing in, there are, there are four people that are walking toward that house and they're carrying another friend on a stretcher. Verse 3 says, they came to him bringing a paralytic carried by four of them. Now, we aren't told the names of these people. We don't know the relationship that they had to this person, whether he was a family member or a friend. But one thing is perfectly clear. They loved him. These four loved their friend. And they were desperate to get him in front of Jesus. You know, Jesus was once asked, what is the greatest command in the Old Testament? And Jesus answered that question like this in, in Mark 12, 30 and 31. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no command greater than these. That is what we call the great commandment. 
And it's all about love, love for God and love for others. Well, the great commission to go and make disciples flows from the great commandment. It's about love. And when you think about talking to your friends about Christ, it's, 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 an, it's an overflow of loving them. It's part of loving them and part of, of love for God. You know, in Greek mythology, the, the character uh, Narcissus was a young man. He was a handsome guy who had left just a trail of broken hearts behind him. But Narcissus never gave himself to anyone until one day he was passing by a pool of water and he looked in the pool and saw a reflection of himself. And he was instantly smitten to the point that he could not budge. And he ended up dying of thirst and starvation because he could not take his gaze away from his own reflection. You know, our narcissistic culture today is dying. People are dying of self-absorption. But they don't know that. And people in our culture think that they're going to find life and fulfillment by making life all about them. But Jesus said it's actually the opposite. Jesus said if you seek to find your life, you'll lose it. But if you'll lose your life for me in the gospel, you'll find it. In other words, we begin to find life when life becomes about something bigger than us. When life becomes about love. Love for God and love for others. These four loved their friend. So they had love for their friend. Second, they had faith in Christ. They had faith in Christ. Let's check out verses four and five. Since they were not able to bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And after digging through it, they lowered the mat on which the paralytic was lying. Seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. I found myself in, in tears this week just studying this passage afresh and anew. There's just so much here. What do we, what do we see about the faith of these four I want us to look at five dimensions of that. First of all, their faith was persistent. Their faith was persistent. They walk toward the house and immediately they see the obstacle in front of them. And it wasn't just that people were jammed inside the house and there was no more room. There were people that were jammed outside the doorway. They immediately knew there's no way that we're going to get in here. And at this point, they simply could have said, okay, not our day. It wasn't meant to be. Let's turn around and, and go home. You know, sometimes we do that with, with friends in our lives and family members who need Christ. We give up on them too easily. Uh, sometimes, you know, we'll, we'll invite people to church or to a church event one time. And if they don't come, we just, we just drop it. Never ask again. We share the gospel with people once. And if they don't immediately respond by receiving Christ, I mean, that's just it. We don't talk to them anymore. 
But the truth of the matter is that, especially in our culture, for the vast majority of people, 90-some percent, coming to Christ and, and becoming a part of this church is going to be a process. It is going to take multiple Invitations. It is going to take multiple gospel conversations where you, you're, you're talking about Jesus and you're listening to questions that they have and, and it's, it's an ongoing dialogue that happens. And that doesn't happen unless you invest time in people's lives and, and, and be patient with them and love them with no strings attached and don't give up on them. And so their faith was persistent and ours needs to be. Second, their faith was creative. Their faith was creative. Uh, as they walk up to the house, they can immediately see the issue. But giving up was not an option. And when giving up is not an option and conventional means aren't working, then guess what? You get creative. I'm always amazed especially after being being to, going to Israel uh, several times I'm I'm always amazed by the Israelis that built this country from scratch you know out of nothing and have managed to not only survive but thrive in the middle of a place where you know just surrounded by a lot of people who don't don't want them around and Israel today has become an economic Powerhouse, especially in the area of high tech. I was reading an article uh, about this, and one American software CEO who has an office in Israel says this. He says, when I tell an Israeli the shortest distance between two dots is a straight line, he'll try to find a shorter way. <laughs> Eli Barkat is one of those Israeli high-tech CEOs, and he says this about his people. To Israelis, the word no is a dare. For example, when I tell an Israeli entrepreneur the deal is dead, he answers, how dead? <laughs> is it still breathing? There is no such thing as a dead deal. Israelis always try to find another way. You close the door on them and they jump in through the window. Well, these four Israelis are not going to come in through the window. They're going to come in through the roof. Palestinian homes in the first century would have had a flat roof. It would have been would have had beams that would have been going across it and in between the beams there would have been a mud packed together along with straw and sticks and, and, and things like that and so they approach the house immediately they know they're not going to get in by any kind of conventional means and since they're not going to give up they're going to find a creative means the house would have had an outdoor stairway leading up to the roof because a lot of times they would just lay out things to dry and stuff like that on the roof. So there's always a stairway going up on the exterior of the home. And so they figured, okay, we'll go up the outside stairway and we're going to dig a hole in the roof. Are you willing to dig a hole in the roof? For your friends who need Christ. 
Are you willing to find creative solutions to reach people for Christ? Listen, our God is creative. He is brilliantly creative. He is the creator. You can look at the stars that he's made. You can look at nature. You can look at the intricacy of the human body. You can look at the brilliant colors of fall that we're going to see in just a few weeks, and you can see that he is a brilliant creator. And one of the things that it means to be made in the image of God is that he has given us the ability to, to create, to think creatively. And sometimes we have to think outside the box in order to reach our friends for Christ. And, and churches have to do that, right? The message of the gospel never changes, but the, the methods to reach people can and, and must change. We have to be creative when it comes to that. So their faith was creative. Third, their faith was courageous. Their faith was courageous. The critical moment here is when they're approaching the home. And so they come up with a creative solution. Okay, we're going to go up the exterior stairway and dig a hole in the roof. But then there's another critical moment. And it's this, because right after they came up with a creative solution, there came a moment when they had to decide, do we really have the guts to do this? <laughs> Will we really follow through and do this? Oh, that takes some... That takes some Joshua 1.9, doesn't it? The Bible says there, haven't I commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Another thing that keeps us from reaching people for Christ is cowardice. Because sometimes we are more concerned with protecting ourselves than we are with providing the good news of Jesus for our friends. Fourth, their faith was sacrificial. These guys had to know. <laughs> they had to know that their solution of digging a hole in the roof of this house was not going to please everybody. There were going to be a lot of people who would not like it. They had to know that the people, the crowd that was inside the house was not going to like it. They would perceive it as an audacious interruption to what was going on. They had to know that the homeowner who was getting a hole in the top of his roof was not going to like it. They knew that in a community like this where everybody knew one another, there was the possibility that they would be talked about as fools for the rest of their lives. They knew that they would be liable for any financial charges that were incurred by the destruction of this property. They had to know these things. They, they knew that it was going to cost something. And if, if we're going to reach people for Christ, it's going to involve sacrifice. The gospel is all about that. It's at the heart of that. Jesus says in, in John in John chapter, um, chapter 15 and verse 13, no one has greater love than this to lay down his life for his friends. That's what Jesus did for us. 
And so look, people are not going to come to Christ without some sacrifice. It's going to take some sacrifice of our time. It's going to take some sacrifice of getting outside of our comfort zone. It's going to take some financial sacrifice. People cannot be reached for Christ without people joining together to give of their resources that the church might move forward. And remember the gospel. That we have a savior who loved us and gave himself for us. And so let that gospel of the one who sacrificed himself for us drive you to a faith that is willing to sacrifice for others as Jesus has for us. Finally, their faith delighted the heart of Christ. Their faith delighted the heart of Christ. Just imagine the scene inside of this home and this, as this is going on. First of all, they would have heard people walking around on the roof. Then they would have heard really strange noises of people digging through the roof. And then bits of mud, dried mud, and maybe sticks or straw, debris would have started dropping down on their heads. <laughs> Listen, make no mistake. I mean, people were shocked at this. That they, that they were absolute, people were absolutely incredulous that this was actually going on. All except for one. And that one is maybe has tears streaming down his face and he's got a smile. He's smiling through tears and that was Jesus because Jesus is delighting. He's delighting in what was happening. Verse five says that seeing their faith and nothing delights the heart of Christ like the faith of his people. When you read the gospels, it's just one of those themes that just pops out at you again and again that what absolutely brings just joy and pleasure, delight to the heart of Christ is when people will simply trust in him. You know, Jesus once got a little child and had, had the little child come and, and stand with him and he put his arm around him and he said to the crowd, he said, unless you change and you become like this little child, you'll never enter the kingdom of God. What's the attribute of little children? They're so trusting. They're so trusting. If you're a parent, you know this. They will, they will, they will, they, it's scary how much they trust us because we're so imperfect. But, but Jesus is perfect. And you can always trust him. And when you do trust him, you honor him. You honor him by trusting in him. You delight his heart when you trust in him. But to trust in him means that, that if we really trust, that we take, we take steps of faith. And there are steps of faith that we have to take to reach the people in our lives for Christ. First of all, to pray for them. You got a card last week, a little prayer card to write down the name of someone, to pray for them by name specifically. It's not real until it, it becomes specific. Who's your one? It begins with praying for them. 
It means that you take the time to get out of your comfort zone, get out of your Christian bubble. It's so much easier just to hang out with our families or hang out with our Christian friends all the time. Get out of your bubble and get involved with people who don't yet know Jesus and then be willing to speak up, to speak words of life, to speak the words of the gospel to them. Those steps of faith delight the heart of God. There's a third thing that we see here, and it's this. They receive more than they ever imagined. When these four came up that day with their friend on the stretcher, they were praying that Jesus would heal their friend. They received more than what they ever imagined. You know, Ephesians 3 and verses 20 and 21 says, now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be glory and in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. That's the kind of God we have. He does more than all we can ask or imagine. See, these four came with a temporary aspiration for their friend. Jesus provided an eternal solution. (laughs) They came with the aspiration that their friend would be physically healed, that he was, but even if a physical healing happens, unless Christ returns during our lifetime, we're still going to die. And so any physical healing is, is temporary in that respect, but Jesus provides a healing here that is eternal. The forgiveness of of sins. What happens here? Verse 5. Seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. This is not what people expect to hear. It's not what readers of Mark's gospel expect to hear. It's certainly not what the people who were in the house that day expected to hear. They knew that Jesus had healed other people. And so, What they're expecting him to say is, son, you are healed. He's going to say that eventually, but not at first. Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven. Well, this immediately raises the ire of the religious leaders who were in the room, the the critics of Jesus. And so we see in verses 6 and 7, but some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does he speak like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Well, they were right about that part. (laughs) They were wrong in that they didn't understand who Jesus was. That Jesus was and is God. And as God, he not only has the authority to forgive sins, as God, he's omniscient. He knows everything that's happening. And he knows exactly what they're thinking. You can read their minds. Verses 8 and 9. Right away, Jesus perceived in his spirit that they were thinking like this within themselves and said to them, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? Well, the easiest thing to say would be, your sins are forgiven, because any kook could say that. And, you know, it might not be true, they could just say it. It could just be words. But what if words could be authenticated by 
action. Verses 10 and 11. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he told the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. (laughs) Mic drop moment. But there's another mic drop here that we often overlook, and that's the fact that Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man. That term comes from Daniel chapter 7, where the Bible speaks about a figure, the Son of Man, who was opposed by evil forces, but vindicated by God and given authority by God. And it foreshadows something that's going to happen later in Mark's gospel when after his arrest, Jesus stands before Caiaphas, the high priest, We read about it in Mark 14 and verses 61 and 62. Again, the high priest questioned him. Are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? I am, said Jesus, and you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Listen, the one who sits at the right hand of the father, the one who is coming on the clouds of heaven has the authority to forgive sins. The authority to give the ultimate healing to the ones in our lives that need Christ. But he works through means. He works through you and me as we love people and as we share the gospel with people. A couple of questions in closing. If you've been derailed from the mission... What has derailed you? What has derailed you from the mission? Is it the busyness of life? It is so easy in our culture just to get so preoccupied with our own lives that we don't make time for people who are far from God. Is it busyness? Is it your comfort zone? It's so much easier to stay in that Christian bubble than to spend time with people who need Christ. Is it a lack of courage? Is it a lack of love? What's derailed you from the mission? Second question. What would it look like for you to dig a hole in the roof? What would it look like For you to dig a hole in the roof. I want to just leave you with just three simple steps for digging that hole. First of all, pray for your one. God can do things in people's lives that we just can't do. Pray for people in your life who need Christ Think about who they are. Think about your life. Think about the concentric circles of your life. That innermost circle of your immediate family and and maybe going out another circle. Think about your extended family. Most, Most all of us have people in our extended families who need Christ. Going out another circle. Think about people that you go to school with or people that you work with or 
neighbors, people that that are within your sphere of influence. God has put a person like you who is in possession of the gospel in their lives. How are they going to hear unless someone like you is willing to to speak, to come alongside, to love them, to spend time with them, to speak of Jesus. Step one would be to pray for them. Step two would be to spend time with them, open up your life to them, to involve yourself in their lives and let them be involved in yours. Open up your life. And then the third step is open up your lips. Open up your lips to speak the good news of the Savior. Invite them to come and be a part of a church family where the gospel is pervasive in worship services and Sunday school classes and events and small groups, each of which is like a point of entry for people. Invite. God grant us the courage to reach our ones. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you loved us and gave yourself for us. We thank you that you put people in our lives that loved us enough to tell us about Jesus. We thank you that, that you have been so patient with us, so persistent with us. We thank you that you've done more than all we can ask or imagine. As we just continue to reflect in the presence of the Lord. Listen, today, do you have a relationship with Christ? Do you know him? We're talking about reaching people for Christ, but certainly in a crowd this size, I know there are people here who who need to come to know Christ yourself. Oh friend, listen, the heart of God is an open wound of love. He has proven his love by shedding his blood for you on a cross. He is risen from the dead. There is life in the risen one. Turn to him. Turn to him. Trust in him. Receive him as Savior and Lord. And for those of us who have come to know Jesus, we are sent on a mission. We should wake up every morning knowing that we are on a mission for God, that there are people in our lives, there are people that God will put in our path that need to know the Savior. Will you allow the Spirit of God to work in you and through you on mission for Him? So Father, that is our prayer, that your Holy Spirit would grip our hearts that you would give us your love for others as you have shown us in Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray, amen. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. 
I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12: to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father, and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you too. Come to one of our services. We worship at 8.30 and 11 on Sunday mornings. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I could help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.